and welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramal Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and here to co-host with me as always is Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Welcome, Maria. It's great to be with you today, Remmel. It's great to have you as well. Now, we had a very special weekend last Saturday with our annual Celebrate Life Banquet. Uh, Raymond Arroyo from Fox News and EWTN spoke at our banquet, and he was absolutely amazing and thoroughly entertaining. It was a sensational event that was well attended. And for me personally, it was quite inspiring to see so many of our donors and supporters come out for an evening of celebration and fellowship with us. So before I introduce our theme and guest for today, Maria has something to share from our Celebrate Life Banquet. Remmel, spectacular. That is probably the best word that could be used to describe the 2023 Celebrate Life Banquet, sponsored by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation Education Fund. Much of the credit goes to keynote speaker and cable news host Raymond Arroyo, who communicated sheer joy, even as he explained the challenges that lie before the pro-life movement. Arroyo characterized the pro-life movement as a movement of hope, calling the Pennsylvania affiliate of National Right to Life a sign and extender of hope. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is a little thing called to do big things, Arroyo said. Arroyo also invoked the words of stalwart pro-life advocate Mother Teresa, who stunned the audience at the 1994 National Prayer Breakfast by saying, the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion. Please don't kill the child. He noted that abortion is now a state battle and a ferocious one. Certainly that is true in Pennsylvania, where Democrat pro-abortion Governor Josh Shapiro has threatened to cut off funding for the Commonwealth's award-winning Pregnancy and Parenting Support Services Program, administered by Real Alternatives. The program funds pregnancy resource centers, maternity homes, and adoption agencies throughout Pennsylvania. It has become a model for the rest of the nation. Hundreds of people from all across the Commonwealth turned out for the Celebrate Life Banquet. They came to both celebrate and commiserate in light of the struggles Pennsylvania faces in trying to maintain legal protection for preborn children and their mothers. To learn more about the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and our life-saving, life-changing work, please visit our website at paprolife.org. Ramel. Thank you, Maria. That was beautiful. It was a very good recap of what Arroyo said. Of course, he said a lot of other things, but <laughs> uh, those were some of the main uh, points for us to take away. Now, at the banquet, um, I had an opportunity to share, and I talked about the first time that I was educated on abortion at my Catholic high school by Respect Life group. And what you learn about life issues at an age like that forms a worldview where Life is held precious and valuable. It's even better when we hear positive life messages from peers we can relate to. So today's interview is with a movement of young people committed to building a culture of life in schools, high schools, and colleges 
by educating other young people on pro-life and chastity messages. Our guest is Lisa Eshelman from Generation Life. Lisa graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 2022, where she studied health and societies as well as French. During her time there, she participated in the Pro-Life Club and Newman Center. Lisa began working as a pro-life educator for Generation Life upon her graduation. And we are so glad that she can join us on this podcast. So welcome, Lisa, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to, to hear what you do. Uh, but for our listeners, can you tell us what is Generation Life and what is it that you do at Generation Life? Absolutely. Generation Life was founded back in 2000. So we've been around for 23 years, as long as I've been alive, pretty much. And we are a movement of young people that travels around Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, the Northeast general area, and speaks to other young people, primarily students in middle school, all the way through college, about the messages of life and love, um, specifically about pro-life and chastity, hoping that we can end abortion at its root cause by spreading that message of chastity and then of course, adding in that piece about life as well. And where do you do your pro-life work in Pennsylvania? Great question. So we are currently, our office is in Conshohocken, and then we travel all throughout the city, through all the suburbs of Philadelphia. We'll go a bit out west, more in the Lancaster area, up in Allentown, up to Scranton, um, of course, a lot down in Pennsylvania, and then towards this as far southeast as you can get, bottom of Philly. Uh, So all around the state, I would say not so much far west, like Pittsburgh would be a little bit further. um, But certainly if we were invited and we could make it work, we would love, love to go. But primarily in the greater Philadelphia, loose Philadelphia area. So during your work, uh, you've come across hundreds and thousands of teenagers and, and young adults. So what do our children and teenagers need to hear most? these days? Well, besides the gospel message, of course, first and foremost, I would say the joyful message of life and love that these are, these are messages of joy, of freedom, of hope. Um, They're not messages of shame or unnecessary rules, but these are beautiful messages that God has given us to help us live more happy and fruitful lives, especially in regards to life. If we can see the value in other people, hopefully we can see the value in ourselves. It was definitely something lacking in my education. I wasn't raised pro-life or anything like that. Definitely something lacking. So that message that this is actually a joyful message to see the value that every single human being brings to the table. I think that's lacking these days. Can you share with us some stories of hope from your work? Absolutely. We have by far a very positive reception, even in difficult environments, um, which just highlights that the students are yearning for this message. My coworker, who's now in the seminary, spoke to a group of middle school boys, and we always pass out anonymous surveys so they can ask their questions confidentially. And it asks them what they learned from the presentation. And a 12-year-old boy wrote on his survey, you know, what did you learn? And he wrote, 
that I need to think more about my future bride. And I don't know what my coworker said, yeah. but that warmed my heart. The fact that he got this 12 year old boy to get out of that video game mindset and thinking about like his future bride and making decisions with his future family in mind. Is that not a culture of life? So I just have always kept that one response in my heart and just having girls, you know, as young as 12, 13, saying they've really struggled with chastity, but that the messages of life and love show them that they can start over. I'd say that message of starting over is one of the biggest key points of hope um, that we have to share with students. And it's always well-received. Every year we go on a beach outreach trip to the Jersey Jersey Shore, and we speak to strangers, teenagers, high school graduates about chastity, and they receive it so positively, um, just saying that they never knew that they could have an alternative type of romantic relationship, that they don't have to go along with whatever they're being led into. So just seeing the joyful reception from the students has been so positive. So tying your chastity message with the pro-life message, um, when you start talking about abortions, what is the response or reaction uh, for towards that from, from these young kids? I would say it's varied. I would say the middle schoolers are much more receptive. As they get older, they've been exposed to so much more. Sometimes the seniors in high school, junior seniors can be a little more jaded, a little more guarded, especially the girls who we know are being you know, targeted online um, with certain viewpoints. I receive a lot of that advertising myself, so I know what they're getting. And sometimes they will be more guarded, but another hopeful message, we gave one presentation and we could just tell the girls were not here for it. Just a lot of eye rolls, a lot of crossed arms. And in those anonymous surveys, one girl wrote it, wrote, what did you learn? And she said, I learned that not all pro-lifers are bad. It was like, all right, if that's the takeaway here, that's great. Like that is a great starting point for us to have that we have come into these schools. Sometimes we just have 30, 45 minutes to counter the hours and hours of messaging that these girls are getting. So if in 30 minutes we can get them to recognize not all pro-lifers are here with a bad agenda, far from it, we'll take it. Job done. Oh, that is great. Um, and I'm sure that's 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 an impression we want to leave, right? Especially with all the negative media that that's just bashing pro-lifers and calling us extremists and things like that it's always good to know that kids can look as look at us and be like oh these these are good people so thanks for doing that job um and and what if i may ask what does building a culture of life look like in schools in the colleges that you visit so we go in, we speak to students about whatever the school has asked us to come to talk about, typically starting around seventh grade. We're typically giving one of our classic pro-life or chastity talks. We do have longer series, six and nine part series, where we can go back and visit the schools again and again. And that allows us to dive deeper into issues of human dignity. We talk with students about homelessness and all sorts of different issues of life besides just abortion. Um, and of course, we bring in our chastity message as well. But one of my favorite parts about the job is after the presentations, we'll often get students coming up to us, asking us personal questions or really opening up to us about their personal lives and what's going on in their lives. And that is always really an opportunity for me, I think, to build the culture of life with that one soul just in front of me. And the kid may only be 12, 13 years old, you know, not a parent, not looking to be a parent at any time in the near future, but getting to build their life up 
helps, I think, in general to build a culture of life because they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel like this movement wants them there. That's something that always struck me going down to the March for Life is to see all the kids that are there, all the children. I was a women's, I went to the women's march. I used to be very pro-choice back in high school. And so I went to the women's march and just to see night and day, the joy at the March for Life versus the negative emotions at the women's march, no children present very negative atmosphere versus the joy and the the fun that people are having, the smiles on their faces at the March for Life just really helps me see, okay, that's what a culture of life is. Is it? It's actually a culture of joyfulness, of happiness, of people helping each other out, supporting each other. So getting to do that in whatever way. And if it's one-on-one with a student, that's my personal favorite. Do you think that Generation Z is confused about the pro-life issue? Um, I don't know. If I would use the word confused, I think they're receiving very mixed messages. Absolutely. So they may understand or have an idea of what they think pro-life is. I think confused on what that idea is, is probably accurate. They are getting a lot of ideas um, fed to them or taught to them, even in schools that is made to be a caricature of the pro-life movement. Uh, when they find out that we actually provide all of these different resources, we always make sure to include that in our talks, local resources in the area, just so they can have that in the back of their minds of, oh, there actually are people who will help me. They're often not told that. So I do think there is confusion, a lot of misunderstanding about what the pro-life movement is and what the pro-choice movement is. I think they're getting a lot of sugarcoating on that side. And so they'll come in with ideas that, okay, the pro-life movement isn't here to help women. When they find out that we have all of these resources available for almost any situation, that idea starts to change almost immediately. Oh, that's amazing. Now, what would be a lesser known fact about life that students are often surprised to learn? Um, I think one thing there, we always share little facts about fetal development and We share a bunch of them. We talk about the heartbeat and how early that heartbeat is. That's always surprising. But we also show ultrasound footage of a baby at 12 weeks and have the kids guess how old they think the child is. And we'll often get answers, you know, five months, eight months, nine months. And we tell them, this is only three months. And look, everything is already here. Baby's very active, bouncing around. That always shocks them. So getting to show them that real footage and put a face to the name, so to speak, always surprises the kids in a very good way. And sharing with them how early babies can be born and survive outside of the womb is also very, they also find very interesting. And how do you respond to the old argument, my body, my choice? That my body, my choice is an interesting argument. One that I personally used to believe now in everything in my life, instead of thinking my body, my choice, it's much better. I think we'll have a much better time in life if we think my child, my duty. So my choices, my responsibility, being able to say, I actually do have control here. I do have choices I can make, um, you know, before I get myself in that kind of situation is very empowering. And then if a child is conceived, well, now you're a parent and that has duty and responsibility. And we have to own up to that and step up to the plate. And, you know, as long as that child needs us and we're the only one that can provide that, then that's our duty. So thinking about it more as a 
choice of responsibility as opposed to a choice of of killing is much more empowering in my mind. Um, and so we always remind students, well, your parents have a duty to you before you're born, after you're born. I always have a clear image of my mind when I was at the Women's March in my senior year, junior year of high school. And I told my parents I was going and I wasn't going to listen to them, if, even if they told me not to. My dad realized, you know what, I got to go and try and at least keep her safe. So we're at this march. My dad's next to me. I'm screaming my body, my choice. My dad's stepping up and being the real parent there trying to keep me safe. And, you know, he had told told me not to go and I didn't listen. And he, he, maybe he could have put his foot down more. I don't know. But just the fact that he was the real parent there, putting himself on the line, keeping me safe, actually living out that duty while I was, you know, just a kid, not under, not even understanding the conversation. Um, and so we've both come a far, a far away from them, but that always keeps me focused on, okay, it's not my body, my choice. It's the duty of a parent and seeing that in my own parents has been nice. What's your favorite part of being an educator? I would have to say, again, the one-on-one conversations with the students. Um, They will, maybe because we're not their teachers that they see every day, but we get to come in and see them maybe just a few times. For some reason, they seem to be able to open up a little more about it. And they'll really let us into their lives. The questions they ask are so inquisitive. They're really thinking about these issues. and. Even even young children, um, sixth, seventh grade, not that young, but you know, we may not realize how much they are learning about this stuff and thinking about it from a whole variety of sources. So just getting to interact with them and get their questions, I'd have to say, is my favorite part to see how curious they are and how much they do want to learn. I think people would be very interested in finding out how did you decide to become pro-life? Because it was obviously a transition in your life. It was a transformation in your life. How did that happen? Uh, I went to a secular private school growing up outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, we, I didn't know any pro-lifers or any conservatives really growing up, except my grandma, and we didn't talk about that. So I started my senior year realizing that some of the things we were being taught in school weren't true. My parents are both doctors, so they're very scientific minded. So I was able to ask them certain questions and they would confirm for me different facts of different things I was wondering about and being taught incorrectly in school. And so I started to realize if I couldn't trust what my teachers are being were teaching me in school, then what was I supposed to believe? And so I started changing my mind on a lot of issues And pro-life was probably the last one because it was so deeply ingrained in us that this was, this was a women's rights issue, that this was just one of the most basic fundamental parts of a modern day society that was so deeply ingrained in us. I'd say that was the last thing I changed my mind on, but I'd say it was one seeing the joy of others. Um, no condemnation. I didn't experience an ounce of condemnation from the pro-life movement when I would talk to pro-life friends in college, ask, just ask genuinely asking questions. They never condemned or shamed me. Always happy to sit and just have a conversation. I didn't feel forced to change my mind right then and there to make them feel like they'd won me over. It was just an open, honest friendship. 
honestly, that was kind of a new thing. When I did change my mind on pro-life, I lost nearly every single friend from high school. No one talks to me anymore, except for just a couple people, um, because that's how that culture was. So to meet pro-life people who didn't stop talking to me, if they found out I didn't agree, that was brand new to me, but something about that was intriguing. So it was a very slow transformation. Um, but over time, God brought me full circle. And the biggest thing has been being able to affirm the value of other people has taught me my own value. And that's something I never learned growing up. So that's what the pro-life movement has given to me. Um, and that's just been one benefit, I guess, of this, my personal transformation in that area. I hope that answers your question. It does. And I, I'm just struck by your courage and the fact that it must've been hard losing those friends. And yet I'm sensing that you gained new friends along the way. Absolutely. New friends, better friends, friends who encourage me in virtue, friends who understand my my background, friends who want to have those honest conversations, even if we don't always agree, um, friends that I'm able to to pray with or, you know, do pro-life work with. That's been such a blessing. I have a question for you. If you encountered your old self today, like there's another person who's exactly like you. Um, and has those strong pro-life convictions, what would you do? Um, how would you ha- what would that interaction look like? You mean you mean somebody who had her strong pro-abortion? Pro-abortion, yes. And then okay. That's part of why I love this job because I get to encounter these boys and girls, but prim- honestly, the girls is one of my favorites at the exact same stage that I was in high school, you know very politically motivated, very politically focused. So I get to counter them in that exact same moment and try to speak to them. And it is a challenge. High school girls are challenging, but that's to be expected. And honestly, I think the very thing that converted me on this issue was the prayers of strangers. I know that there are so many pro-life people praying for the conversion on this topic, of pro-choice people. And I firmly believe that the prayers of strangers played an infinite role in my conversion from pro-choice to pro-life. So I hope that if I encountered someone vehemently pro-choice, that I would have the strength to offer those prayers for them. And hopefully God will convert their heart too. I really believe those prayers go such a long way. And I think that your story gives hope to people who are pro-life and who wonder, well, can I make a difference? You know, there is a person in front of me who does not share my beliefs, who seems very committed to keeping abortion legal and even expanding abortion. And I wonder to myself, well, can I make a difference in that person's life? And, And your experience says, yes, you can. Absolutely. I mean, I was all in. I wanted to be a Planned Parenthood escort my summer in high school. Um, I wasn't 18, so I wasn't permitted. Crazy. You have to be 18 to do the escort, but not to receive the abortion. I wanted to be the escort. I wanted, you know, I went to the march. We were really all in. Um, And 
I don't know, it's just the sheer grace of God, but it's, it's so many pro-life people along the way I know are praying for that. And I know that had such a big impact because I didn't know them personally. There was no reason for me to feel this pull to convert on this topic. Cause I didn't know people personally, but learning about the fetal development, there's so many resources online, testimonies of other people who had either experienced abortion or had gone through a similar political conversion on this topic just inspired me that, okay, I can do this. I can change my mind on this. And I think I'm going to be a lot happier for it. And that has been a hundred percent the case. Oh, that's wonderful uh, to hear that. I hear your story. I mean, I, I, we we thought we were going to talk about generation life, but I feel like this has been so, so good to hear another young person who was vehemently pro-choice and uh, has a story to tell from her own life. So um, just real quickly, uh, what are some of those, like you, you mentioned that you had some thoughts and beliefs about um, abortion being women's rights issue and, and things like that. So could you like quickly come up or uh, talk about what were some of those things that you saw were not true? Like, of course, we all know um what the, the pro-choice and pro-abortion side speaks about, uh, portrays ab abortion as, but for you personally, what were some of those things that you broke down and you realized they were not true? The procedures themselves, I never knew anything about. We certainly weren't taught that in school, nor should we have been, but I didn't know what those procedures involved or looked like. Learning that at every stage um, what each procedure looked like was horrifying. Learning about the fetal development, how early the brainwaves and the heartbeat begin, um, and all the formation of the child from the earliest moments of conception. I, we had learned in high school that this was more akin to a parasite, you know, feeding off the mother. So to learn that, you know, okay, well, a parasite is never going to develop to become like a fully independent organism like a human baby is just the complete differences there that in the science that shocked me um to learn about the resources that were available shocked me all of it fell into place once i learned the truth um yeah the science the re the practicals the resources all of it came into place at that point thinking about one argument that appealed to me a lot was the argument of viability, because the idea that this is so arbitrary, it's fully dependent on the medical technology where the child is born. So can one child have value at 26 weeks when another doesn't because they're not in as developed of a location? Well, that didn't make any sense, right? So thinking, all right, well, viability can't be the standard. What's the standard? That was kind of the big philosophical question playing in my mind was, what is the standard? What do we go by where life has value? And eventually just tracking it back. It has to be the moment of conception. There's no other moment that we can point to. That was one of the biggest things I think that kind of shocked me, changed my mind. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yes, it definitely does. And it it, it sounds like from your own uh, experiences, you're very, very resourceful and and just the right fit to talk to our young, uh, young younger generation. So thank you, Lisa. Yeah, thank you so much, Lisa. And in the 30 seconds we have left, can you tell us, how can people learn more about you and Generation Life? So they can go to generationlife.org and they can learn all about the talks we offer, the resources we have. They can always reach out. There's different contact options on our website. So that's just generationlife.org, one word, super easy. 
how they can find out about me, I guess, is to listen to this podcast. I don't have a ton of online presence, um, but this is a great way to do that. Terrific. Lisa Eshelman from Generation Life. Thanks for being on Positively Pro-Life today. Thank you both so much. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of the members of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation all across the Commonwealth. The Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation is the largest single-issue pro-life organization in the Keystone State. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, there is always a reason to choose life.